my slideshow wasn't prepared by Sai either. We <laughs> uh, turn into Acts chapter 19. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Uh, Gary Wright. You probably don't know him, but you're going to get to know him a little bit this morning. Gary Wright. To his business, he uh, owns a computer store. He walks into his business in the back alley he sees uh, some two-by-fours. It, it kind of looks like someone's laid out a pile of junk, and there's two-by-fours there, and they've got some nails in them. And so uh, he walks over, and he doesn't want anybody to step on the nails or puncture a tire, and so he's going to pick up the two-by-fours, and he's going to throw them in the trash can. When he picks up the two-by-four, he doesn't know that it's connected to a, an explosive device. He is one of the early victims of the Unabomber. He was so close to danger and didn't even know it. He spent several days, weeks in the hospital, eventually recovered. He was so close to danger and was completely unaware. We're like that a lot, aren't we? Today we're talking about something that's very close to us that is an incredible danger to us, but often we're not aware of it. We're going to start in Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Uh, the passage that was read for you this morning you get to meet 12 guys. They're disciples, um, but they are not disciples of Jesus. They're disciples of John. They've been baptized into John's baptism, 
which was a baptism of repentance, right? Paul meets these guys, and I don't know how long he spends with them uh, or what questions he asked them before this one or what kind of interactions they may have had before what's recorded for us here in Acts chapter 19. But something's happened before our conversation here in Acts 19 to kind of let Paul in on the idea that something's amiss with these guys' faith. They don't, they don't know some things that they ought to know or they're not acting as if they should be acting. And so he says, did you get the Holy Spirit? And he's, he's talking there, of course, about the miraculous portion of the Holy Spirit, I think. Um, and so this, this ability to do miracles. And so that's something that the first century church had that, that we don't get to enjoy. Um, but it was given to the disciples by the laying on of the apostles' hands. Paul's asking these 12 men if they've, if they've gotten the Holy Spirit like that. And their response lets him in on this idea that, that something is very much amiss with their faith because they don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit that he's, that he's been given, basically. They, they understood, I'm sure, as most Jewish people back in this day did, that there was a Holy Spirit, but they just don't know that he's active, that he's doing things uh, like this today. And so Paul says, well, what were you baptized into then? They said, John's baptism. Like we said earlier, it's a baptism of repentance. And so they are uh, rebaptized. They're, they're baptized because they essentially uh, the, the, the original John's baptism was not for salvation. It was indicative of repentance, but it was not for salvation. So since these guys weren't baptized into Jesus through the power of Jesus, through the authority of Jesus, they were not baptized for the purpose of the forgiveness of their sins, they needed to be baptized again. So that's how Paul opens up this interaction with Ephesus. We are turning the world upside down, at least God is turning the world upside down as Paul walks through this second missionary journey. We've, we've, we've kind of closed that out now. Ephesus is about a three and a half year addendum to, I suppose, the second missionary journey. It really starts the third uh, but it's where we're going to stop meeting churches in our study of upside down as God turns the world upside down and, and shows us the way that we should have always been looking at the world. And so he meets these disciples and, and they are baptized again because if you haven't been baptized by the authority of Jesus or you haven't been baptized for the purpose of the remission of your sins, it is not a correct baptism. These folks needed to be baptized again to get salvation. And so that's how he interacts with Ephesus in the very opening scenes. In the next little section, you're going to meet these guys, starting in verse 11. They're sons of a guy named Sceva. He's a high priest. He's a Jewish high priest. <coughs> and they have apparently been noticing Paul's power God's power through Paul to exercise demons. These guys find a demon. I'm assuming they go in search of him, which is obviously, if you know the rest of the story, a really bad idea. But they have gone in search of this demon. They find him and they command him by the authority of the Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of the man. The demon says, just something that's incredibly interesting, uh, Jesus 
I know and Paul I know, but I don't know you. And I don't accept your authority over me. In fact, you have no authority over me. And so he's going to beat them, rip off their clothes, and send them running away in fear. When the church and the city hears what's happened, they have a clear example of God's authority, right? These guys didn't have God's authority. Paul does. Now it's clear. Um, these guys tried. They said the same words that Paul says. It's not like a magic incantation. There's authority behind what Paul says, and it's not Paul's authority, and it's not abracadabra, it's not magic words. These guys said the exact same words, but they got a different outcome. And so the power has to be in the God that Paul is preaching about. Even these seven guys recognized that. They just weren't willing to line up behind Jesus. So when the community hears this episode, and it got out fairly quickly, I would imagine these guys are prominent, and this was a very public and embarrassing ordeal for them. And so when the word got out, what had happened here, you know what happens. Revolution sweeps through the church, and the world gets turned upside down. Revolution sweeps through the community, and the world gets turned upside down. The guys that were selling and were reading and were buying into the black arts, the magic, and, and all those kinds of things, they bring their books to the center of town, and they burn them there, and it costs around 50000 pieces of silver. That's what Luke records for us. He, he tells us the sum of money. Throughout Acts 19, you're going to find money mentioned a couple different times, and I think that's what he wants us to focus on here. I think uh, God has lined up these different incidences with money just for us to be able to talk about it, to think through it, the implications of greed. This is the thing that's far more dangerous than the Unabomber's bomb or any other kind of threat that we might experience physically. We live in an opulent nation. We live, in fact, in the most opulent, the most aristocratic, the most wealthy nation that has ever lived on the face of the planet. Isn't that phenomenal that you get to live and experience this portion of history? It is an incredible blessing. And we focus on that a lot, but it's also an incredible curse. It's, it's difficult to live righteously in the midst of this kind of environment, isn't it? Jesus would even say that it's harder for what? It's harder for a rich man to get through the eye of a... Or it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Right? What's he say in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Flip over there real quick. Hold your finger in. Acts 19, but turn over, to, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. We'll back up to verse 9 to really get what he's talking about here. He's talking about contentment. We can't take anything out of the world. We didn't bring anything into it. We're not leaving with anything. We need to figure out how to be content with the things that we have here. In verse 9 he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
why on earth would you want to be rich, right? It only provides pitfalls for us. It only makes righteousness more difficult, right? But in our culture, it's almost sold, not almost, it is sold as a compliment, as something that you want. It's, it's, it's not a vice. It's, it's the opposite of a vice, right? This greed, covetousness is, is the biblical word for it, but our culture would sell it to us as a virtue. You're taking care of your family. You're providing for yourself. You're, you're living the good life, right? The Bible would see it in a different light. It's dangerous. It's an explosive waiting to go off. And you don't even know it's there. Because you ignore it. We ignore it, don't we? Verse 10, he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That they wandered away. They were led away with this thing. It's almost the, 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 the image of um, someone with a carrot dangling it in front of a, a rabbit's face and the rabbit's running right into the slaughterhouse, walking happily, trying to get the carrot. That's, that's the danger that, that we're in. And we often don't even see it. I, I think the folks in Ephesus... We're in the exact same situation that we're in all the way up until the gospel reaches Ephesus. And in Acts chapter 19, when Jesus is proclaimed, what do they do with the, this, this, these books of sorcery? They, they bring a small fortune into the, not even a small fortune, they bring a fortune into the city center and they, they burn it. Money doesn't mean anything in the kingdom of God. He doesn't, he doesn't have any currency like that. Flip over to Colossians chapter 3. Let me show you again the danger. This is something we just don't, we don't think this way and we need to. They had started thinking this way. Remember when the gospel reaches a city, it turns the city upside down and, and we're forced because we're in Christ now, to look at the world the way that He looks at the world, the way that we should have always been looking at the world. It's not upside down, it's right side up. Finally, the rest of the world is upside down, and we're looking at the world correctly because we're looking at it through His eyes. This is something we need to look at through His eyes because it's so dangerous. It's an explosive waiting to go off, and we don't think about it that way very much. Listen to what Paul again in, in Colossae says uh, about money. In chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he's going to give you a list of some of the things that are earthly in you, especially in the, in the Colossians. You need, to, you need to kill these things. You need to make a concerted effort to kill these things inside of you. And so you need a plan to kill these things. Here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is what? Covetousness is idolatry. It's the same thing as worshiping an idol, right? You go back through the Old Testament and, and you find Israel worshiping an idols, and we think, oh, I don't have an idol today. We do. 21st century American Christianity's idol 
is in your wallet. It's in your bank account. We worship money. He says it's not good. You can't, you can't live like that. It's dangerous to live like that. And we often don't pay attention to the danger. Most of us think that we're, we're not wealthy, right? When you look at your bank account, you probably look at yours like I look at mine and think, I'm not wealthy. What am I? I'm not I don't, I don't have, when, when I become a multimillionaire, then I'll worry about wealth. Wealth is a mindset, right? It doesn't have anything to do with how much money you have in the bank. It has everything to do with how you think about it. Is that right? Have you noticed that? Can a poor person be just as greedy as a rich person? Yes, they can, can't they? Because it's all how you think about money, right? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil we make that distinction quite frequently and so you're familiar with that it's how you think about money that matters and so it doesn't matter if you if your your bank account is zero or if it has many 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 zeros in it it's how you think about money that matters and so you can be very poor or you can be very wealthy and still fall into greed it's a trap and in our society, where money and wealth is lauded, where that is the, the, the goal, the achievement that a lot of us are searching for, or longing for, he says it's even more dangerous for us. So you need to pay attention. You need to think through some of this stuff. And so in Acts chapter 19, he's going to help us think through the ramifications of, of money. Skip down to verse 21, back in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. You're going to meet a new guy. His name's Demetrius. You're not going to like this guy very much. <laughs> he is an Ephesian. He is a silversmith, as a matter of fact. He's one of the guys that makes the statues of Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians. She is a false god, right? Uh, Ephesus is known as the city center, as the world center of Artemis worship. Uh, she has a massive temple there. She, she used to. It's gone now. Um, but there, the trade in Asia uh, was focused in Ephesus. And people would come from all over the world, really, um, to, to buy and to worship these statues. Paul has been in Ephesus for long enough now, in Acts chapter 19, uh, when we come to this passage in verse 21, that the trade of these uh, relics, the trade of these idols has been um, affected. He has preached enough, enough people have been converted that they're not coming to buy these idols anymore. Demetrius is a visionary. Demetrius is the guy that sees it first, apparently, and he's the one that, that forms a mob of all the people in the economic supply chain. All the guys that are going to interact with this idol, all the ones that are going to make it, he's going to get them together and he's going to form a mob. And it's so interesting what he's mad about. He, no doubt, he worships Artemis of the Ephesians, right? He thinks that she has power over his life. He thinks that uh, if he were not to worship her, if he were not to make sacrifices to her, that bad things would happen to him. He buys in, I am positive that he buys in to this idea. He is 
sold out. He's devoted to Artemis of the Ephesians. And so when Paul says that your gods that are made with human hands are dead, they're not really gods, you would think that this guy would stand up and be saying things like, my God's real. You, you can't say that my God's not real. And then he would have example after example after example of times when supposedly uh, Artemis blessed him or did something for him, right? If Paul's blasting these gods that are made with human hands and they're dead, they're not gods at all, they're, they're clay, it's silly. It's like Isaiah would say in, in his book, uh, you go down to the forest, you cut down a tree, with part of it you make fire, with part of it you fall down and worship the idol that you made out of it. It doesn't make any sense. That's what Paul's saying in Ephesians 19. These gods are, are dead, they're useless, they're lifeless. You would think, you would think that Demetrius would come to his God's aid. It's not what he does. Listen to his argument. In verse 25, he's gathered all of his buddies together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have wealth. What's he mad about? He's not mad that Paul's calling his God lifeless. He's not mad that Paul's calling his God dead. He's mad that this has affected his purse. That's crazy, right? Would you think that Demetrius would have a greed problem? I wouldn't think that he would have a greed problem before he says those words. That's a little insight into his mind, isn't it? We get a, we get a glimpse into his heart, and all of a sudden we think, yeah, he, he does have a greed problem. We need something similar to happen to us. I don't know if you struggle with greed or not. Maybe, maybe you don't. If you don't, you're probably an outlier because it is so central to our culture. It's, it's the virtue that our culture sells. Do you know that America has the most national debt out of any country in the world? And it's not even close. The next one behind us is Japan. And they have more than half of our national debt. We have twice. You could put two Japan's national debt and still have room left over in the American national debt. Also, that's, that's just the country, right? The people are different, right? We're also number one in credit card debt. And it's not even close. In fact, we make, for every dollar we make, we spend a dollar and a quarter. Average American. You're not average Americans. You are Christians. You're God's people, right? And so we look at this differently, at least we should. But it's all to show you that this is incredibly dangerous. And if we don't pay attention, this will suck us into. We have to be careful with this greed problem. It's awfully hard to get into heaven if you love money more than you love God. And that's what greed does for us. <coughs> I want to take just a couple of moments and ask us some questions that will maybe get to our heart, that will expose our heart to see if we have greed. And if you say no to all these questions, awesome. You're doing great. You keep doing what you're doing. If you said, if some of these questions make you blanch a little bit and they think, make you think, maybe it's time to lo lo do a little bit more self-introspection. If go sell everything you've got 
and give it to the poor makes you stop following Jesus, you got a greed problem. He told that to somebody, right? The rich young ruler, he walked away sad because he had what? A lot of stuff. He had a lot of stuff. He chose his stuff over God. And so if go sell everything you've got and give it to the poor makes you stop following, you got a greed problem. If you start making excuses for this guy, you got a greed problem, right? If you're more worried about your money than other important things in your life, you got a greed problem. This guy is a righteous guy. The rich young ruler, he's a good man. You would have liked him. You would have been friends with him. I would have been friends with him. We could have talked about spiritual stuff. In fact, that's why he comes to Jesus, to talk about spiritual things, right? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? We would have liked this guy. He would have fit in just perfectly in, in, in our company, in our congregation. He would have been... Even perfect. You would have noticed the difference. But Jesus did. And so he says, you follow the commandments. The guy says, I've done all those things. Jesus says, great. Sell everything you got and give it to the poor. And what? He walked away sad because he had a whole lot of stuff. If you start making excuses for him and thinking, well, Jesus doesn't say I have to, I have to sell everything I have to give to the poor. He doesn't. But if you start making excuses for that, maybe it's time to do a little bit more self-introspection. If you can't think of anything more important in your life than money, you've got a greed problem. If there's, if there's not more important things, you might want to take a second and do some introspection. In Luke chapter 12, you meet another guy. I want to co-opt his story and bring him into Acts 19 for just a second. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a, a story about a rich man. He's got a bumper crop. Things have gone very, very well for him. If you're looking in Luke 12, he starts in verse 13 telling this story. <clears throat> and so he doesn't know what to do with his bumper crop. He's got more crop than he's got barn. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down these barns. I'll build up brand new ones. And then I'll say to my soul, so you've got lots of goods stored up for lots of time. You sit back, eat, drink, and be merry, right? If your sense of self-worth or your confidence from how well you're doing comes from money, you've got a greed problem. This guy in Luke chapter 12 struggles because he gets his confidence from money. Right? Now that he's got a lot of potential for money, he can sit back and live the good life, right? All that confidence, it doesn't, it's not founded in God, no, right? Because the way Jesus ends this story is, you fool, right? You've laid up all this material stuff for you, but you didn't know that you were going to die tonight. And so you haven't taken time to take care of the spiritual things. It's foolishness. You take care of the spiritual things, and if the physical things come, great. But you take care of the spiritual things. You don't, you don't worry about this stuff. He'll take care of this stuff. You take care of the spiritual things. That's your focus. You make sure that this stuff is right. And if your bank account's not right, it's fine. We don't draw our confidence from our money. At least we shouldn't. And if we do, we've got a greed problem. If you're constantly worried about your financial future, you've got a greed problem. Right after Luke chapter 12, 
uh, starting in verse 22, Jesus starts going through this episode where he talks a lot about worry. You know, do you know what Demetrius is doing? He's worried, right? Back in Acts chapter 19, our, our friend Demetrius, the silversmith, he's worried that he's not going to be able to have enough money to live the good life, right? And so he pushes back against Paul. He pushes back against God because he's, he's greedy and he wants to keep what he's got. We keep referring to the good life. I, I want you to think in your mind, every time I've said that, that phrase, I bet something, a picture has popped into your mind, right? Maybe, maybe it's you sitting on a beach with an iced tea in your hand looking at the waves, and that's, that's the good life, right? You're just sitting back and you're relaxing and you're not having any worries. And that's the good life. I want to challenge that thought. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Listen to Paul's version of the good life. When someone said the good life, that phrase to Paul, it was not sitting on a beach sipping an iced tea. That's not his version of the good life. 1 Corinthians 9, 23 is his version of the good life. He says, let's start back up to verse 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. That's the good life for Paul. I serve you so that we can together share in the gospel's blessings. So the good life, when you see it in your mind, when that picture pops up in your head, it's not a beach somewhere, it's not relaxing somewhere, it's service in God's kingdom. That's the good life for Paul. It ought to be the good life for us. And if it's not, maybe we need to take some time and do a little bit more soul searching. If you never think about how your money can help others, you might have a greed problem. This rich man and Demetrius were concerned with what they got with their money. This, this guy probably tithed. The guy in Luke 12 probably tithed. But he didn't like it. And he, and he didn't do anything extra. He was happy to spend his money building bigger barns. If you're not doing something with your money extra to, to, uh, to help other people, to, to, to help the church, to, to, to be generous, you might have a greed problem. If you medicate with money, you might have a greed problem. This is what I mean by that. When, when you're sad, buying something makes you happy. That might be an indication of your mindset or of your heart set. Remember, we're number one in national debt, number one in credit card debt. We spend more than we make. We've topped one trillion, not, not in national debt, but in credit card debt. Americans have one trillion in credit card debt. As a society, we love overspending. And so if you're medicating with money, you might have a greed problem. <coughs> Demetrius and the rich man lived their lives as if the accumulation of stuff is the point. The news flash for today is accumulation of stuff is not the point. You ever play Monopoly? Titus likes Monopoly, and usually 
he or I uh, will, will get one of the properties, you know, like one of the nice ones, and we'll start pounding the other one. And you'll start seeing that other one's bank just decreasing and the other one's bank's increasing, right? And then at the end of the game, one of us will say, ah, gotcha. And then you know what we'll do? We'll take all the money, we'll put it back in the box, and we put the box away because the game's over. It's a lot like life, isn't it? There's coming a day when all the stuff that we've worked so hard to accumulate is either not ours or is burned up. It's like putting the box away. Game's over. You just take care of the spiritual stuff. That's the, the problem with the rich man in Luke chapter 12. He missed out on the spiritual stuff. He missed the good life because he was so focused on money. Don't miss the good life because you're focused on money. The good life is only found inside of Christ. Forgiveness of your sins, entrance into the body of Christ, the generosity and the kindness and the joy that you find inside of Him. That's the good life. The service of, of each other and the service of God, making His kingdom bigger and better. That's the good life. Don't miss the good life because you're focused on something else. This morning, if you've not been baptized into Christ, you're missing out on the good life. You're missing out on the, the, the only life, the promise of salvation, um, the promise of eternity with Him that's only found inside of Him, having your sins washed away and becoming, being added to His family, being added to His kingdom. Maybe you've made the decision this morning and you're struggling, you've gotten distracted, it's awfully easy to do. But if you're ready to put the game away, to get out of the rat race and to follow Him for the good life, We'd love to pray with you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any, have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Sing him over again to me, wonderful word of God. Let me
Good morning, church family. Hope everyone's doing all right this morning. A couple announcements uh, before we are dismissed. Uh, several announcements. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad you decided to worship with us this morning. Um, if you can take a moment to fill a visitor card in front of you, it'd be greatly appreciated. So that way we can have a record of your attendance and place it in the box in the very back. Um, life group news. Uh, life group one that's Rick's Life Group and Life Group 5. Uh, we'll be meeting for lunch after services this morning. Uh, Life Group 1, Rick's Life Group will be meeting in the middle auditorium. And Life Group 5, Mike's Life Group will be meeting in the old, old auditorium. Uh, also, Life Group 3, that's Jeremy's Life Group, will be meeting in the middle auditorium uh, next Sunday after Sunday service um, on the 20th. Um, also, um, Please mark on your calendars, uh, Wesley and Lindley's uh, shower. <laughs> I always said baby. Um, wedding. <laughs> Sorry, Jason and Julie. <laughs> wedding shower um, is uh, on August 26th here at the building. It'll be in the middle auditorium between 2 and 4 o'clock. They are registered at Target and Amazon. So, uh, um, Please put that in your calendars. Uh, boys and, and girls are invited to this uh, event as well because uh, uh, Jason has to go. Yeah, if Jason has to go, everybody else has to go. So, um, uh, so uh, please put that in your calendars. Also, Life Group 2 is asking for donations for hairbrushes for mothers living at Lily's Place. Uh, today's the last uh, day you can drop those brushes off in a basket on the foyer table. Uh, we'll be taking those brushes to Lily's place on Monday. Uh, the preschool's apple trees out, up and, and uh, in the middle auditorium um, in the, on the foyer door. Please take an apple. These are school supplies that the preschool needs uh, for this coming year. There's still a lot of apples left, so take uh, as many as you can to help out with the preschool. Um, also, uh, we're needing people to help cut grass. Uh, there's a calendar out on the foyer board. If you can help out with that, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, we are needing Bible class teachers for the fall quarter uh, starting in September. Um, we are needing teachers for the preschool age and also Bible hour. If you can help out with that, please see Jeremy or Connie. Um, also, uh, potluck is on the 27th. Um, we'll have a 1 o'clock service, uh, no 6 o'clock service, so potluck's on the 27th coming up. Be here before we know it. Um, Youth news, uh, this coming Tuesday on August 15th, uh, Fairland East and West and um, the high school and middle school will be having a prayer around the flagpole. Um, Fairland Middle School and the East and the high school will meet at 7 o'clock around the flagpole to do a prayer and Fairland West will meet at 6.30 to, to have a prayer around the flagpole. So um, it's always good to pray for our kids for uh, starting a new new year. Updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep uh, Jim Wilgus, uh, Sean Maynard, uh, Jim Haney, Amber Spitzer, and Tanya Shamblin in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatment. Uh, keep John Klein in your prayers as well as he uh, has a heart valve replacement and goes through tests on August 14th. Uh, keep Judy Jordan in your prayers. She's having an ablation on the 30th. Uh, keep Emma Swango in your prayers. That's Terry's Baker's mom. Keep her in your prayers. Also, uh, updates on Jerry's sister, Carolyn Lynn, 
she's still at St. Mary's, uh, but she's been up. She's now out of ICU, and uh, she's in room 3146. Um, so remember to continue to keep Jerry's sister in your prayers. Remember to continue to keep uh, Joe and Sandy's uh, granddaughter in your prayers. Merritt, uh, she goes through type 1 diabetes. And also uh, keep Jim Martin in your prayers as well. Uh, he still remains at St. Mary's at this time as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. Uh, looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let us please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 231. We'll sing the first and last verse. And then Brother Rick Keister will have our prayer. Hilltops of Glory. <clears throat> Onward rejoicing, I pray, I pray, higher, I Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this opportunity to come here this morning to assemble ourselves for the sole purpose of worshiping you and glorifying you. In doing so, we pray, Father, that the songs that we have sung have been from our hearts and from the spiritual side of us where we can tap into our love for you and our sense of worth as children of yours. We pray, Father, that as we partook of the Lord's Supper that we did so with the appropriate attitude and the appropriate focus. We pray, Father, that we will take Chris's words to heart, that we will do whatever we can to get the focus of our life more on you and less off of this world's goods and things that we have around us. We realize, Father, that it will take effort and, and uh, we must pray and work toward that, that effort. Pray, Father, that as we leave this uh, place that you will be with each family represented here, that uh, we will be able to return back this evening and every time that we meet to glorify you and to give you praise and honor. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>